Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone. Before we begin, I want to give you a question to chew on while you listen. As a kid, back in school, what was the best field trip you remember going on? I don't remember a lot of mine. I just remember eating lunch outside and it was such a novel idea or concept to me at the time and it was that was probably my favorite thing about all the field trips. I think if I had to choose, the one I remember the most was the Titanic Museum, but I don't want to waste all your time in the opening. So let me know down below what your favorite field trip was as a kid. Now, let's get into tonight's stories. Lloyd Dobson, my middle school bully, was the first one to see it. Had the circumstances been different, I doubt anyone would have believed what happened, though it was undeniable we encountered something on that trip. He and his buddy, Ray Mathers, put me through hell for years. Me and the only friends I had, along with anyone else who was unfortunate enough to have been born smaller and weaker than him. I didn't even see Lloyd until it was all over. The events that still weigh heavily on my subconscious. I barely registered the condition he was in at the time, given the fact I was out of it myself. After I heard the whole story, though, I never would have wished that on anyone, even if they'd made my life hard for years. It was mid-March of 2014, with only a few months of 8th grade left when we took that field trip. It was a fairly small school I attended back then, with even the full graduating classes consisting of maybe 30 to 40 students in all. The high school was in another complex, but it shared the grounds with the junior high and kindergarten, which was one of the reasons I could never escape my bullies. I remember begging my parents to send me to a different school, but that would have required moving to a different town altogether, something they couldn't afford to do on a whim. I was well aware of that, even when I would spend hours crying after getting off the bus, but I still hoped things could have been different. I never held it against my folks, mind you. They did everything in their power. They both kicked up a fuss at school, threatened lawsuits, and the like if Principal Marks didn't address the problem, but that only made things worse. Yeah, they calmed down for a few weeks after Marks read them a riot act, but... After a while, they got back to it, far more relentless than ever. I pretended things had gotten better to my parents, playing off cuts and bruises as playground accidents and the like, but I knew that they knew things weren't great. Dad had dealt with bullies when he was a kid, so he likely had a good idea of what was going on, but I convinced them not to pay another visit to the school. I dreaded to think how bad it would have gotten if they had called reinforcements and all. 
Jace Banks and Bella Sweeten were the only friends I had through kindergarten and middle school, so we sat together on a bus as we headed out to Lake Sacacauia. It was only a 30-minute trip to get there from our small North Dakota middle school, but they had more than enough time for Lloyd and Ray to give us a quick preview of the fun that they had in store for us. While I'd been out to the lake before, given that it wasn't much of anything else of interest nearby, even familiar places were so much more exciting when they're taking the place of some hours spent at school. Of course, it would surely have been more fun without the company of the biggest asshats in our class, but that didn't take away from my excitement. Most of the other kids were cutting up or gazing out the windows at the beautiful scenery, but while we attempted to keep to ourselves, the constant barrage of spit wads and smack talk kept us from being able to relax and enjoy the ride. Gabriel Baker, our hormone teacher who sat at the front of the bus, tried his best to turn a blind eye to the loud teens at his rear, but he'd make regular empty threats in a meager attempt to calm things down. He was always a pushover, Mr. Baker, so everyone knew he wasn't about to have the driver turn this damn bus around, regardless of the visible vein throbbing above his temple. If I couldn't take him seriously, I knew Mathers and Dobson wouldn't either. We still laughed and joked about all the things that made us freaks in the eyes of our peers, regardless of the endless mockery. Even if the trip felt a good deal longer than the 30 minutes or so that had gone by, we were pulling up to the parking area off to the side of the lake before we knew it. I felt my face burn when Ray pushed Bella down the steps as she walked off the bus, but Jace caught her before her face planted into the gravel. Fortunately, Baker actually paid attention to what happened, looking as flushed as I felt at the time. He warned the chuckling duo of douchebags that he would be keeping an eye on them, and even though they laughed the whole thing off, they surprisingly kept their distance from us after that. Sure, we could see them staring at us, talking shit from a distance over the next hour or so, but I wasn't about to allow them to stop me from having a good time. For a school field trip, it was actually quite relaxed. We didn't have any sort of itinerary or anything, no obligations or chosen path to follow. We weren't even required to stay in a huddle, so everyone scattered to their normal groups, talking about the beautiful scenery. It wasn't until a couple of hours had passed, as Baker was asking around about Ray and Lloyd's whereabouts, that I even noticed they disappeared. They probably just snuck off the smoke, Bella said, rolling her eyes. Man, maybe we'll get lucky and they'll find him drowned or something, Chase said, giving us a laugh. Normally, I wasn't one to wish anything bad on anyone, even those I don't care for, but I wouldn't lose a wink of sleep if either of those two pricks had washed up dead on the riverbank. In the end, I think that may have been a better outcome than what happened. Can't believe I'm even saying this, but Lloyd Dobson didn't deserve that. After another 45 minutes passed with no trace of the two bigger kids, Baker looked like he was getting pretty concerned. Regardless of whether or not the school and the world, for that matter, would be in a better place without them, they were under his watch. There's no denying he'd be in a shit ton of trouble if he lost any of the teens who were ever in his care, even those who were likely to grow up to be the next Gacy or Dahmer. Our teacher gathered up the rest of us and made us stay together while he took a head count to make sure Dobson and Matthews were the only two unaccounted for. 
Once he was satisfied, he and Umber, the bus driver, headed out to search for the missing asshats. Those two always gotta be the center of attention, Jace said, shaking his head with his eyes rolling. Hopefully, I said under my breath, they found a hill to tumble down and broke every damn bone in their bodies. Damn, dude, Bella said with a chuckle. A little harsh, huh? Wouldn't hurt my feelings a bit, I said bluntly. Sure, I felt a little embarrassed when Bella called me out, especially since she only laughed when Jace made the crack about them drowning, but those two could go to hell for all I care. They had gone great lengths to make life miserable for any of the weaker kids ever since kindergarten. Even if their home life was a train wreck, inspiring them to lash out in any way they could, it wasn't my problem. All I knew was that I hated them with the passion of a thousand sons. That was until the screaming began. I couldn't tell if it was Ray or Lloyd who made that horrified shriek. It may have been Baker or Umber for all I could tell from the sound of it. Whoever it was, it silenced every one of us who remained huddled in the group awaiting our teacher's return. Oh God, a voice howled from the distance. For Christ's sake, help me. There was a murmuring through the group, accompanied by wide eyes and shocked expressions. While nobody exactly jumped at the opportunity to assist whoever was yelling out, I can't deny that my curiosity was practically bubbling over. When I ran for the tree line, intent on seeking out the source of the terrified wailing, I can't honestly say where my mind was at the time. For some reason, I didn't even factor in that the assholes could be playing some sort of prank, just to make me look stupid in front of everyone. I think my curiosity overruled my common sense at the time. My instincts took the wheel, not allowing me to give it a second thought. I heard my friends call out to me as I sprinted between the trees, but I was so focused on that haunting sound, I paid little attention to them. Even after the screams softened to more of a constant moaning, I could tell that it wasn't far ahead. As I drew closer to another parting in the trees, one that looked as though it led to another section of the lake we came to visit, I allowed the throbbing in my side to slow my approach. What the hell, man? Jay said as he and Bella came up behind me. You nuts? Bella asked, panting for breath. You don't run towards shit like that, dingus. But what if they're hurt? I said, choosing not to reveal the other side of my reasoning for running this way. Then we call someone. 911 or some shit. We don't go looking for trouble, Billy. Jay said, slugging me on the shoulder. With that whimpering just ahead, maybe 20 or 30 feet if I had to guess, I just looked in the direction I was heading, and then back to my friends. They both looked lost for words, glancing at one another, seemingly having some sort of silent debate before Bella gave a shuddering sigh. Okay, she said, but if you get me killed, I'm kicking your ass. Leading the way, I pushed through the brush between the trees, stepping out to the riverbank. Baker, it seems, was the one providing the ambient moaning as he writhed on the gravelly ground, holding his hands over his eyes. He didn't look hurt. Not that I could tell anyway, but there was definitely something wrong with him. 
I crouched down beside him, laying a hand on his shoulder which he instantly jerked away from, scraping his legs against the ground to push his body away from me. With another attempted touch of my hand, he began to scream again, folding himself into the fetal position with his back to me. Mr. Baker, it's me, Billy Johnson, your student. What's- Don't touch me! He yelled again, scraping his body across the ground, flopping around like a fish out of water. What the actual... Jay said before his words trailed off. When I turned to see him staring at the water, steadily inching towards it, I couldn't tell what had inspired his eyes to grow so large and his jaw to fall limp. It's coming back, Baker said, his screams replaced by mad laughter. You'll see. What? I turned back to look at the man who'd finally raised himself, almost stunned as his hand slipped from his face. (laughs) And then you won't. I felt my jaw unhinge when I saw the blink, lifeless, milky white eyes of my homeroom teacher staring into oblivion. The skin around his eyelids was torn and split from where it looked as though the fingernails had dug into the flesh, but there was nothing behind his empty gaze. What is that? Jace asked from somewhere outside my erratic thoughts. When I looked up to see him and Bella both, gazing almost entranced at the water, I turned to see what had their undivided attention. When my eyes met the almost hypnotic, vibrant red that shimmered beneath the afternoon sun, I was barely aware of getting back to my feet to join my friends as they paced toward the rapids. No! A voice called out, almost pulling my transfixed glare from the eerie yet beautiful sight. As something began to rise from beneath the rippling surface of the lake, something I still steadily approached, I felt my body colliding with the ground once more, with the wind knocked out of me. Whether my legs had somehow given out at the sight of whatever was freeing itself from the water, or that something else left me splayed out on the gravel, coughing and wheezing, I didn't know at the time. Either way, once my eyes were distracted from the mesmerizing sight, I felt my senses begin to return. Don't look at it, a familiar voice said, pushing me back on my ass before I could pick myself back up. What the fuck, dude? Bella barked, having joined me on the ground at some point. A thick and muscled arm wrapped around me while another shielded my friend from whatever was happening. When I heard a howling sound of madness emitting from the mouth of the fiend who did not share my company on the ground, I fought against the one who held me in place, desperate to reach Jace. Oh God. Oh Jesus. My friend whimpered before another shrill squeal echoed from his mouth. Let me go. I begged, battling harder against my subduer with every word. You can't, he said. You can't look at it. But Chase, he's already gone. It's too late for him now. It'll be over in a moment. Just no, I screamed, launching my knee into the gun whoever held me on the ground. As a horrendous roaring sound joined the horrified wails of my friend, I felt my legs betray me as I attempted to lift myself back up. When I noticed it was Ray Mathers, who still tried to pull me back down to where he crouched, holding a writhing Bella in place, I grew certain that this was some bizarre stunt or prank designed to make us feel like idiots when the curtain was pulled back. With that, I was more determined than ever to reach Chase, worried he was caught in the middle of some cruel joke performed by the other half of our duet of tormentors. What the hell are you guys playing now? 
I asked, finally breaking free of his grasp. This shit ain't funny. You... I didn't know where the attack came from, but whatever caught me across the jaw left my head loopy and my eyes crossed for a time. When I spun in place, wrestling to remain on feet that felt disconnected from my body, I could barely believe what my faltering vision had revealed. My mind was dazed from one hit, my thoughts were all over the place, but even though my vision blurred and unfocused at the time, I couldn't even hope to rationalize the thing that stood waist-deep in the water. Jace had dropped to the ground, still screaming and writhing in place, just as we had found Mr. Baker, but the creature just gazed back at us, barely moving. Maybe it was just my reeling and jarred consciousness that inspired some bizarre hallucination, but my shell-shocked brain could barely wrap around the sight of this thing. It stood the height of a tall person, lean yet muscled, its every inch layered with brownish-red hair. The face was long, gaunt, with longer hair hanging like a beard on its chin and from the top of its head, with a single glowing orange eye dead in the center of its forehead. A long horn protruded from directly above it, like an extended brow, twisting and coiled like a static serpent. Were it not for the impending dizziness, brought on by whatever left my jaw swelling, I can only imagine what effect the sight of this thing could have had on me. Likely I'd be in a similar state as my teacher and friend, who still contorted their bodies against the gravel, moaning in shared anguish. Just as I began to feel the loopiness completely numb the senses it had muted, I saw the creature turn away from me, lowering back into the water. The last thing I saw before everything went black was the sight of the jagged, saw-like spine that pushed through the back of the monster. It was like a grotesque fin that carved through the water like a hot knife through butter as it drifted away. When my eyes reopened, or I should say when they were forced back open by the paramedics shining the light on them, it took me a moment to relocate my bearings. From what I could tell, I had been moved away from the water, though I could still hear it rushing from somewhere in the background. Can you tell me your name? The medic asked, turning his light off while I blinked my eyes. Billy. Billy Johnson. What? Do you know where you are? How you got here? It's... We're on a field trip. Uh, Who... This one's lucid, he called to someone else before a stocky, balding police officer came strolling up beside him. I could see more paramedics working on the others, but Lloyd and Umber seemed as catatonic as Jason Barker. At the time, I could only speculate as to what had happened to them, as I'd only been present for my friend losing his shit, but it would all be revealed soon enough. Though I was still somewhat out of it, I answered the officer's questions to the best of my ability. Recounting the events that still felt vague and scattered at best was no easy task, but the more we spoke, the more my senses returned. I'd have to recall this tale to others over the hours and days that followed, along with Bella and Ray, but it would be some time before we were informed about the fate of our teacher and friends. According to Ray, he and his friend had been walking the riverbank, having snuck away from the rest of the class a while back. When Lloyd began acting strangely, stopped in place to gaze at the water with his body trembling, Ray turned to see him transfixed by the reddening water. 
He got in front of his friend, shaking him violently in an effort to break his unwavering focus, but when he heard the roaring sound from behind him, he turned, allowing only his periphery to see the creature emerging from the lake. When Lloyd shrieked at the sight of this thing, Ray whipped his attention back to the one before him, refusing to permit his eyes to meet what he feared to be creeping up on him from behind. As his friend fell to the ground, Umber broke through the tree line, his legs immediately paralyzed by the sight of the monster as his screams joined Lloyd's. At that, Ray ran for it, wasting no time and attempting to preserve his life regardless of the state his friend was in at the time. I could tell he was ashamed of his actions while he recounted them, but I couldn't blame him. There was nothing he could have done after all. He hid in the bushes between the trees, trembling from head to toe, terrified that the creature would seek him out, having no idea how long he stayed there, nestled away in that brush. He couldn't tell how much time had passed when he heard Baker howling from somewhere to his left. It wasn't until he watched my friend and me approaching from a distance that he finally convinced himself to take action. By the time he arrived at the scene, Jace was already mesmerized by the sight of the thing rising from the lake, so he tackled Bella and me, the only two he thought he could save. When I broke free of his grip, the only thing he could think was to clock me as hard as he could. Better bruised than whatever happened to Lloyd, he said, wearing an apologetic expression. Even with everything he and Lloyd had put me through over the years, I couldn't hold it against him. Had he not left my head spinning, I would have surely have ended up in the same condition as the others. Gabriel Baker, a husband and father to three children, died on the way to the hospital. Lloyd Dobson and Jace Banks both lasted a day or two before they lost the fight. Benjamin Umber, a widower and father to a 20-year-old son, remains in a mental facility to this day. All four of those who clearly saw the creature were blinded by the time the ambulance arrived, but autopsy showed no reason for that or the apparent heart attacks that put a premature end to their lives. Umber will likely outlive his days in that facility, days that are numbered from what I've heard. His health has been deteriorating for some time now. Rumor has it the doctors feel his journey is coming to an end soon. Why he lasted so much longer than the others, I'm not entirely sure. Perhaps it was simply the fact that he was further back from the lake when he saw it. Supposedly, he'd left his glasses on the bus, and his vision wasn't the best before he lost his sight completely. Whatever the case, it seems that the creature got the better of him in the end. If nothing else, maybe in death, he'll finally be freed from his torment. It wasn't long after I returned home that I finally got my wish. We moved away from that town to somewhere with no rivers or lakes for miles. Even now, I try to avoid coming close to anything like that. Hell, I break out in a cold sweat if I see a damn swimming pool, let alone anything not crafted by human hands. Last I heard, Ray is of the same mindset as I, that it's in our best interest to remain on dry land. Bella and I drifted apart after that day, as she blamed me for what happened to Jace. In all honesty, I carry the burden of his death to this day. It was my damned curiosity that put us in the crosshairs of that thing. Surprisingly, I grew closer to my former bully after the events that left us haunted and broken. 
We have our trauma and guilt in common, as well as the frequent nightmares that revisit that ill-fated field trip and those we lost that day. I live in fear that someday the image of that monster in my subconscious still holds will be enough to end my life as it did my friends on that field trip what feels like a lifetime ago. While I have no ways of understanding why it chose to only revel itself from a distance, Rather than breaking free of the water to finish us in a more physical manner, I would be a fool to believe I can understand the motivations of such a creature. Just be careful when you visit the lakes and rivers of the world. If you see a shimmering red illuminating from beneath the rippling water, don't stick around to see what happens next. If you do, it may just be the last thing you ever see before the lights go out completely. I'm crying as I run. Not just crying, but snotting and whining like a hurt animal. Each burning breath more of a wet sob that gets thinner and thinner the farther I go. I don't understand what I just saw, what just happened to Ellie, but at the same time I do. Not with my brain, maybe, but some part of me, even at ten, understands that we'd crossed the threshold into something other, something wrong. And now I had to find my way back across for my sake and hers. It seemed forever before the woods felt like normal woods again. Though maybe I just didn't notice at first. I was focused on keeping up speed and not curving off into a confused circle that would take me back to that strange garden. And that thing that had her. When I stepped out past the trees, I recognized the spot immediately. I was just down the road from a gas station Dad stopped at once, times when he was surveying out this way. They could help me get to our parents. Get to the police, even. So wiping my face, ignoring the burning stitch growing in my side, I stepped on the fog line and started back to running. You're so slow. I could hear the good-natured laughter in Ellie's voice when she said it, but it still burned me a little. She was 12 to my 10, but I was starting to realize that she wasn't just my best friend because I had a crush on her, too. I'd have died if she knew, of course, so I never mentioned it or tried to let it show. Still, in the last few months, I'd found myself trying to act tougher about things, more grown-up. And when she poked fun, which she rarely did, I noticed it a bit more than I had before. This time I just grunted in irritation. You're a giant. Your legs are twice as long. This part was somewhat true. While she was no giant, she was half a foot taller than me and way faster at the best of times. This wasn't the best of times. We'd been hiking through increasingly thick woods for half an hour, and not only was I getting tired, but some areas were so steep or choked with bushes that I had trouble keeping up. I half expected another sarcastic comment, but instead, she slowed down and put out her hand for me to grab as I reached a snarl of twisted branches that she easily vaulted over. Giving me a grin, she waggled her fingers. That's true. You'll catch up, though. Returning her smile, I took the offered hand and made it past the latest barrier with an awkward hop. 
I barely stuck the landing, my feet sliding on wet leaves, and I glanced up at her with embarrassment before realizing she wasn't looking at me anymore. She was looking at the garden. Fifty yards away, surrounded by dark woods but somehow separate from them, was a thick wall of hedges punctuated by an open archway that contained a door of dull red metal like an old penny. Not a solid door, but one made of crisscrosses, of winding layers of, well, now I'd call it copper, though I didn't think that was quite right either. And on one side of the door was a knob made not of metal, but a smoky gray curling lever of wood, filigreed with symbols that felt slippery somehow, whether you were looking at them or trying to recall what they were later on. Below that lever was a small box that looked like a lock without a keyhole. I took all this in as we walked closer, my eyes drinking in every detail I could find and keep as my heart began to speed up. This is special, it's best said. This is magic. I jumped when I heard a sharp whirring noise beyond the gateway that led into the garden. For some reason, I didn't look past the door to the source of the sound, but instead I looked at Ellie. Her eyes were already in the center of that place, watching the thing that was sitting up and staring at us through the red door. I expected her face to show the same uncertainty I was feeling, but she didn't look uncertain at all, or even a little worried or afraid. She just looked terribly, terribly happy in a way that made me wonder if I'd ever really seen her look happy before that moment. I followed her gaze to find what had affected her so was a mechanical man, at least at first glance. It had a metal torso with two arms of twisting wires and joints that twitched and shuddered in time with a cold, ratcheting sound that came from somewhere deeper inside. It was sitting on a long stone bench with one leg on each side, and some part of my brain whispered that its legs weren't right. The swirls of shifting metal were covered in thick gray moss that almost looked like matted fur, but... I could still see that the knees bent backwards and terminated in sharp steel hooves. I was still staring at those hooves when it turned around to look at us. Its eyes were dark pits that would occasionally flicker with amber light, and like everything else about it, that orange flame kept time with some internal rhythm that would give it brief life every tick and talk. Sucked in a terrified breath, even as it made a small hissing sound, followed by a rapidly speeding up whir. Come in, children. I started stepping back, and that was my first mistake. I'd assumed Ellie was as freaked out as I was, but when I was out of the way, she immediately gripped the wooden knob of the door and pulled it open, stepping inside before I could even cry out. I had time to get to the door before it shut, but my fear made me hesitate, and instead, I just called out to her from my spot a few feet back from the archway. Ellie, no, get out of there! She turned to look at me, a strange smile on her face. No, it's okay. I remember this now. I remember this place from my dream. That's why I knew I had to come here. It had been her idea to go hiking here, and she'd been insistent about the direction we went and the pace we kept, but I hadn't thought much about it at the time. Still, even if she had dreamed about this place, how did that make it any better or safer? It could be dangerous, we don't know what... 
I will not harm you, children. Ellie glanced at me as though to say, See? And then I finished the distance to the bench where the creature sat waiting. Moving closer to the door, I looked around at the rest of the garden, afraid there might be more of those things lurking somewhere. It was a relatively small space, a fifty-foot circle bounded by hedges and this singular door inside the circle, four benches at each of the cardinal directions, surrounded by an ancient-looking stone fountain that had long since gone dry. Moss and ivy competed for space on the fountain itself, and the moldering bricks that flowed out from it. But other than that, and the creature on the nearest bench, I saw no other signs of life. It was as my eyes went back to Ellie that I realized she was sitting down on the other end of the bench, from the thing straddling like it was. I went to call to her again, tell her to come back, but the metal voice spun to life. Would you like to play a game? I could only see Ellie's face in profile now, but it was enough to see that something was wrong, had to be wrong. How could she get so close to that thing and not be scared? Instead, she looked happy, excited, nodding and saying yes as soon as the creature finished speaking. Excellent. It reached to its chest and pulled out something round. Large coin. With a kind of twitching flourish, it showed the coin to Ellie and then to me, twirling it with an inhuman dexterity to show us both sides. On one side was a thin woman's face smiling in the glow of rays of sunshine. On the other was the same woman, staring with hatred up at the moon. It struck me later that even with its attempts to show off the coin, I should have been too far away to see it clearly, but I had, whether with my eyes or something it put in my head. I saw it clearly, and it sent a chill up my spine. Ellie, don't... just a staring contest. We will stare until one gives up, or the coin falls. With that, it put the coin between them and set it to spinning on the bench, even as its amber eyes found Ellie's and began to flare brighter. Looking back to her, I saw her eyes were locked in as well. Contest had begun. I thought about calling out again, or going into the garden myself, but I was afraid of what might happen if I interrupted the game or distracted her. What if she lost? What would happen then? So I watched through the door, on the verge of tears as the coin danced in a small twirling circle and my best friend and the monster held each other's gaze. I don't know how much time passed before I realized it was going on too long. The coin was still spinning with no signs of slowing down and Ellie was no longer smiling, her face becoming pale and drawn as she continued to look into the creature's eyes without blinking. And when she spoke, her voice was trembling and afraid. I can't stop. I can't look away. Close my eyes. Is, is the coin still going? I glanced down then back up at her. Yeah, it's still spinning. Like it won't ever stop. I gripped the bars of the door harder. Can't you just get up and come back here? I feel like I already knew the answer, but I had to ask. No. I can't do anything but look into it. I don't want to. I don't want to look into it anymore. 
I saw a thin line of tears sliding down her cheek now, and it stirred enough momentary anger and courage in me that I grabbed the knob and tried to turn it. It didn't move at all. It, the door, it's locked now. I can't get it open. I glared at the monster. Open this door, you bastard! Another whir, and then... I cannot... It can only be opened from the outside one way, from the inside one way. Okay, how do I open it then? To open it from the outside, one must truly want to come inside. You do not, so it will not. Ellie was shaking now. Swallowing, I gave the knob another weak twist before letting my hand fall. I couldn't quite make myself look at Ellie now, so I just stared at the broken bricks between me and her. I'll go get your folks. Get somebody that can help. I'll be back, I promise. I meant every bit of it. But it didn't make me feel less of a coward. And when I started to run, I wonder how much I was running toward help and how much I was running to get away from what I was leaving behind. I reached the gas station, and after a couple of minutes of hysterical yelling for me, the lady behind the counter got enough to call our parents and the sheriff. I told them Ellie had gotten stuck in a place deep in the woods, and I went out with our families and the deputies to try and show them where. Shouldn't have been that hard. We'd explored parts of those woods before, and while we'd never gone in so deep, I remembered the way clear enough. But every time I thought we were nearing the garden, there would just be more trees or small clearings with nothing there. We stayed out there until it got dark, me getting more and more frustrated and upset as I tried to lead them to Ellie. Eventually, my mother took me home. People searched those woods for another week. They brought in dogs, a helicopter, but nothing helped. I was talked to several more times, and eventually I broke down and told them about the garden and the thing inside, even though I knew they'd think I was lying or crazy. Then they did. At first, they were angry, and then they were sad. I think there was even a time where people wondered if I'd hurt Ellie somehow, but there was no proof of that, so by the end of that summer, I was being homeschooled between therapy sessions while Ellie's parents went back into the woods every weekend to search for their little girl. We moved away that next spring. By then, I'd learned to just say I'd lost track of Ellie in the woods, and all the rest was just me being a scared and traumatized kid. I didn't believe that at first, but in time I did, if only because it was so much easier. And over the years, I've gone from thinking about her every day to every week, or to hardly at all. And then last week, I dreamed of the garden. I don't know if it was the same dream Ellie had, and I don't remember the details of it when I woke up, but that didn't stop me from sensing the change. A door had opened somewhere inside me, and all the memories of it I tried to forget and deny had come crawling back out. 
I spent the next few minutes crying quietly next to my sleeping girlfriend before getting up to book a flight back to where I left my childhood behind. The town looked different and alien as I traveled through it, and the gas station was now a restaurant that seemed to have been closed for some time. Parking at the edge of its lots, I walked back up to the road where I'd come running out of the woods that day. Sucking in a deep breath, I headed back inside. In comparison to the town itself, the woods seemed very familiar and unchanged. I told myself a hundred times that this was all pointless if it had all happened. I hadn't been able to find my way back as a kid, and I wouldn't be able to now. But as soon as I started going deeper in, I knew that wasn't true. I recognized several landmarks, but more than that, I just knew which way was the right way, whether from memory, the dream, or some magnetic pull from something in the heart of that place. Heart thudding in my chest, I went faster and faster, and before noon, I'd stepped over a stand of bushes and turned to see the hedge wall a few feet away. The air seemed to go out of me then, and each breath was a thin wisp I had to fight for as I forced myself forward to where I expected the arch and the door to be. It was there, of course, and beyond that, I saw... Oh my god. It was Ellie. Her hair was long and streaked with white, but her face and body were that of a 28-year-old woman, still two years older than me. Her clothes had long since rotted away and bits of ivy and moss draped across her in some places, but her skin was otherwise unblemished except for her face, which had a worn, darker crease in the flesh from the corner of her eye down to the edge of her jaw. Her eyes were still locked forward, bound to the twitching amber gaze of the thing that sat across from her. Ellie was so still that for a moment I wondered if she was even alive. How could she be, having stayed in this place for all this time? How was any of this possible? But then I saw her chest stir slightly with a small, ragged breath, and I let out a sob as I cried out to her. Ellie. Oh, I'm so sorry, Ellie. Are you... Hello, young man. Good to see you again. Shuddering, I forced myself to look at the thing. Please. Please let her go. I cannot. Only you can. I reached for the wooden knob. This time turned it easily. Swinging the door open, I started to step inside when something stopped me. I looked back at Ellie. Can you move now? I've got the door open. Can you make it to me? Ellie's face twitched slightly, and though she didn't move her eyes, I could feel her focused on me. Throat jumping, I tried to make a noise, maybe say something, but all that came was a small hoarse whisper that I couldn't make out. That will not work, young man. The door can only be opened one way from the outside. It can only be opened one way from the inside. And those that enter or exit must abide those same rules. Frowning, I tried to understand what it was saying. Being careful with my wording, I spoke to the thing. So I can open the door because I wanted to enter, and I can enter so long as I want to enter. 
Is that what you meant? Rasping a whir and then... Correct. Okay, um... So now that the door is open, can't I just get her and carry her back out? Incorrect. The door can only be opened one way from the inside, and only one that opens it that way may leave. I wanted to scream. I was frustrated and terrified, but I forced myself to stay as calm as I could. I needed to understand if I was going to help her get out. So for Ellie to leave, she has to be the one to open the door from the inside. Correct. How the fuck is she going to do that? She can't stop looking at you or even move. How do you open the door from the inside? It's coin-operated. My stomach turned to ice as I looked down at the inside of the door. On that side, the metal box beneath the handle held a large slot like you might find on a machine that accepted coins. I looked back at them, and the coin that spun endlessly in between. Can she take the coin, stop it and take it, use, use it in the door? She cannot, nor can I. Only another can stop it, take it, give it to her, give it to me, or take it for themselves. Each coin has a singular purpose and a singular use. I felt my hand trembling on the door. So if I go in and stop the coin and give it to her, she would be free. She'd be able to open the door and leave. Correct. But what would happen to me? Would I be trapped in there without a coin to get out? A longer whir, and then... I would produce another coin for another spin. Another contest. This time would be with you. So I'd be stuck in there unless someone else came and stopped the new coin. Gave it to me and took my place. Correct. Or I'd have to stare at you until I die of old age. There was a tinkle of chimes from somewhere in its metal bones that reminded me of laughter. Oh no. I have many games. I would find us another. A louder jingle of notes and then... You should come in and shut the door. See what I can show you. I was already stepping back as my eyes found Ellie again. The dark track in her cheek was glistening with fresh tears, and she tried to say something again, but her lips would only spasm as a desperate, wordless hiss escaped. I didn't have any words left, either. Just terror and guilt and more than a little relief as I shut the door to the garden again for the last time. Despite my fear, I did hold on to that door for a few moments. I tried to summon the strength to tell her I was sorry, to lie to her and promise I'd come back, but the apology would be for me, and she deserved better than the lies. In the end, I couldn't even look up at her. I pushed against the door to make sure it was secure before backing away a few feet and turning to run. I didn't stop running until I was back in my car didn't stop shaking until I was boarding the flight back home and when my girlfriend asked how my trip had gone I lied and told her everything would be fine 
I lied to myself too. Telling myself I dreamed all of this. Or if I can't swallow that, that I went for a hike in the woods where I once lost a childhood friend while I was out there. I let my imagination run wild. And that may sound weak or cowardly, but I don't care. You can't judge me. I've seen the real world, the world behind the world. And trust me, if you ever see it, don't look it in the eye. Because it can swallow you whole.